have a Bible, grab it, and let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. From chapter 6, John's Gospel has taken a turn, um, if you haven't noticed. And this has been people following after Christ. This has been people uh, who are just loving Jesus, all right? And then suddenly chapter 6 comes on, and he starts preaching some gospel truth. And, uh, and, and suddenly the, the crowd got a different dire- uh, reaction to what he's saying. Um, what we were finding here is that a lot of these people have been following after what Jesus can offer them, what Jesus uh, can do for them. And I think what you're going to find in, in all of chapter 7 is this question that's not being asked, but I think it's an, an unspoken question that's being asked. Which Jesus are you going to receive? Because you're going to find several Jesuses here that the crowds and the family is wanting him to be. So that's the question that I think is being posed here. Which Jesus will you receive or accept? Now, I know you probably hear, uh, you know, will you accept Jesus and all of this stuff. Let me, let's get a good working definition of what that actually means and what that looks like to receive Jesus. Now, A.W. Tozer, he put it like this. I, I like A.W. Tozer's writings. He says, to accept or to receive Christ, we accept his friends as our friends, his enemies as our enemies, his ways as our ways, his rejection as our rejection, his cross as our cross, his life as our life, and his future as our future. Now, to try to pick and choose which of the things Christ has to offer and reject the rest of the things that he offers is not a true acceptance of Jesus Christ. If that is you and I, that we pick whichever part of Jesus we like and reject the rest of the parts we don't like, then, my friends, you've not received Christ. You truly have not received Jesus if you're only after a certain part of him. Now, this is, some 2,000 years later, so true to us today as it was in Jesus' time. We have a culture that wants only a certain part of Jesus, and they reject the hard parts of Jesus. So let's go and let's dive in. I got 24 verses for you, but we're not going to go through all of that right now. We're just going to, you know, we'll just, we'll read and and chat. All right, is that all right with y'all? Y'all okay? Probably not. That's all right. We're going to work through it. All right, we'll have counseling available for everybody um, who needs it after today's service. We'll, We'll provide counseling to Willie, too. I found a couple Jesuses that they were after, and this isn't the Jesus that exists, but I can... I could tell you this, that some of us are probably after this same Jesus that they're after. John chapter 7, let's pick it up at verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. 
The world cannot hate you, but it, it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I mean, I ain't going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So here's a problem that we're going to see. They are not willing to receive the true Jesus of the Bible. Instead, they want this, here we go with it, this superstar celebrity Jesus. That's what they're after. These boys, I'm going to borrow this right here. Uh, these, these boys are his brothers. And I want you to notice what they're doing here. They say to Jesus, which is, I don't think is a bad request. Like, hey, Jesus, go on down there and show them, show them all that, that stuff you did at the fish and fry. Because that was cool, man. Go on down there and do, do more of them signs you do. Go heal people. Go tend to their needs. Not, don't start all that crazy sermon talk about how you the, the vampire of the Middle East eating somebody's flesh and drinking their blood. Stop all that crazy talk and just go over there and do all the signs. Do all the cool stuff. Now here's what I'm thinking. As a brother of Jesus, this is not in the text again. This is Matthew's opinion. I just want you to note that. If I'm a brother of Jesus and Jesus whipping up bacon and eggs and cheese and all this stuff for these people and like that, that wasn't what he was whipping up. But, I mean, he just got all this, this fish and bread and, and he's healing people. If I know Jesus is capable of that, like wouldn't I want to try to benefit from that as a poor Jewish person? So as, as these brothers, they're like, hmm, this Jesus, he could do some pretty cool stuff. Let's make him into a superstar. They know that there's going to be a massive crowd there, so why not? Let's build back your popula popularity. Let's build back um, this superstardom that you once had, and let's plunge into it, man, and let's take advantage of that Jesus. You see how they're after not who he is because the Bible here says that even his brothers didn't believe him. Isn't that sad? Jesus, he understands what rejection looks like. He'd been rejected by the religious leaders, which I'm sure he didn't really care about that. Suddenly he was rejected by the crowds because of his teaching. Soon he'll be rejected by his disciples. And here in this text, he's rejected by his own family. Ever experienced rejection? You know the weight and the pain that that feels when someone has rejected you? Some of you, you can't get over it. Hear me very carefully. Jesus understands. He's been through some rejection. His whole ministry, I mean, dealt with rejection after uh, rejection. And so... 
I love Jesus' response to them. He says in, in Matthew's translation, it ain't my time to go. It's just not my time. Now, he's referencing a predetermined time, not an actual time on the clock. What he's saying here is it's not my time to die yet. So when he says that, he's most likely saying, boys, y'all trying to force something that's just not right yet. It's not my time to go to the cross. Now he's referencing again his cross and the death. So you go on to the festival, not my time to go yet. And so he will not be pressured by the opinions of people. He will not be pressured by these uh, people. And he will not be pressured by time because time does not control Jesus, nor does it control God. Amen. Okay? Because you know that if God was controlled by time, then God wouldn't be time, or God wouldn't be God. Time would be God. So Jesus has his opportune time that he's talking about here. Now, this is frustrating for me. This is completely frustrating for me. So when Jesus says, just not my time, I feel like that's something Jesus says to me all the time. It ain't time yet. Isn't the timing of God very frustrating? Can we have some real or unsanctified folks in here real quick? There's probably uh, one of my biggest frustrations in life is probably about this, probably about time. I am an incredibly impatient person. I'm impatient with my children. Not that I'm going to like blow up on them. I'm talking about like I got, I've got places to go, and I promise you one day I'm going to leave them. And, and you can judge me all you want. Probably need to be judged. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you should judge me for that. But one day I'm going to leave them jokers. They're going to be like, well, Dad, you left me because I got places to go, boo-boo. <coughs> and, and, and you ain't in my car at, at said time, then you're going to get left behind. All right? Like, I like, because I've got, like, one uh, thing to do, and that's, like, I got to go. Go, go, go. That's what I do. I go. Always on the go. And this is frustrating for me because this is one of my frustrations in, with God, if I could be honest with you. Like, I think God should be doing something. And a lot of times what God does is pump the brakes on it. God's got his own timing. And I can go ahead and tell you, it is not Matthew Thrower's time. Because I'm a fast-paced person. And, like, if I see something, like, I want to do it now. I ain't got time to strategize about it. I ain't got time to have a meeting about it. Okay. I mean, I don't like meetings. Okay. Let's, let's meet. About what? Let's do. That's what we ought to be doing. Okay. God's timing often is not our timing. And I experienced this this week, especially with the Lord's timing. Uh, I had these expectations of some, a couple of things that were going to happen, and they were going to go my way. Right? Wrong. Again, God pumped the brakes on some stuff. And that's incredibly frustrating. And I'm sure for these people, this is incredibly frustrating. God, we want you to do this. We want you to do it my way. We want you to do it this way. And surely they're getting frustrated with this because they had their idea of Jesus, but they were only willing to receive the Jesus that could do things on their time, and they were only willing to receive the Jesus that can do these great miracles. This is the Jesus they were after. 
This is the superstar Jesus that they wanted. And instead of doing these dazzling miracles, what's Jesus do? He gives them the sermon. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He's like, I'm sure the boys are like, golly, not another sermon out of your mouth. Like, we trying to build up your empire, Jesus. So just shut up and just do your little whippity doodah thing. So watch what happens. Now, I want you to see what Jesus says. Because not only is he attacking this superstar uh, type, Gunzuntai, good Lord. I think you sneezed the long out, son. Okay. Not only is he attacking the superstar Jesus that they all want, but now he's going to attack this false religious Jesus. Notice what he says here about the middle of the feast. Jesus went up. This is verse 14. He went up into the temple and began doing what they didn't want him to do. Teach. The Jews, therefore, they marveled, saying, Now, how is it that this man has learning when he ain't ever been to no seminary? That ain't what it says. When he's never studied. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If, anyone, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Now watch this right here, because Jesus is about to get to the matter of the heart. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? <laughs> and the crowd said, because you're a demon. You got a demon in you who is seeking to kill you. And Jesus answered him, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. If you don't know what that is, don't Google it. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, you're angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. See what Jesus is talking about? Now, suddenly they want Jesus to be this law-abiding Jesus. Now they're concerned about the rules and the laws, and they want this Jesus to do exactly that. It's to stick by the script, Jesus. Stick with what you're supposed to be doing. And what I think this is addressing is this idea of false religion. Now, I say I, I've got to put false in front of religion because I think a lot of us have a misunderstanding of what true religion is. We, we've heard the sermons. You don't need religion. You need Jesus. You heard that sermon? Not from my mouth, you have. <laughs> you don't need religion. You need relationship. Y'all know that Robbie, Robert Downey Jr. gif? The guy that plays Iron Man? Like, oh, yeah, I know you're talking about. You know, like, the gift that's, that he's, like, cutting his eyes, like. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I hear that Jesus doesn't want religion, he wants relationship, I do that. Like, I just cut my eyes, like, oh, my God, you're such a moron. You know, I mean, I don't say that out loud because I wouldn't want to offend him, but I do that in my heart, you know. <laughs> Here's why this is a problem. Religion has two different meanings, all right? I'm going to just help us out. 
there is the ceremonial ritual and worshiping. And the Latin meaning is religio, or to bind oneself up. So I want you to think about that for a second. This is why I have to preface all this, because I, I, I need us to have a good working definition of religion. So think about what religion means. If you say, I'm not a religious person, what you're actually saying is, I'm not willing to be bound up in a covenant with God. All right? So watch what you say, okay? So I say that Jesus is attacking false religion because this is a false religion. They're more concerned about rules. They're more concern, concerned about all of these different things. And now they're suddenly after Jesus and this law. Because false religion, false religion, uh, it makes you more about the opinion of other people and less about what Christ says. False religion makes you more about the opinions of others and less about who Jesus really is. False, it's, it's this idea of do good. False religion means that you just got to work out everything, present it correctly, make sure you look good, stick to the script. That's false religion. Stick to the script, Jesus, is what they're telling him. False religion, religion has a lot of opinions about everything that you do. And this is what we're encountering with. These people have an incredible opinion about everything Jesus is saying and doing. And now they're accusing him of breaking the law. And so Jesus goes on this really, really strange, really, really, that was weird. Uh, he goes on this strange kind of sermon to him. He's like, okay, if you're more worried about law, then let's talk law. If for some reason... You are to be circumcised on the eighth day after you're born, and just so happens that eighth day falls on the Sabbath. What are you going to do? You're going to circumcise the kid. Now, you want to make this person clean. So Jesus is like, so I come, and I make a man clean, and you, you're going to complain about it. You see what religious false religious people do they pick this weird argument and they just go at go at it 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 and it's like nobody wants to hear them talking you're accusing jesus you're just possessed by demons i don't know who wants to kill you jesus all that crazy talk who are you so jesus comes on the scene here and he addresses this false idea that they have. You want a celebrity Jesus? I'm not him. In fact, I'll tell everybody to leave. <laughs> this is Church Growth 101, how to shrink a church. You know how to shrink a church? You speak the truth. That's not a hit on churches that are growing. I love churches that are growing, and, and, and our church, I want our church to grow. You want to Put a divider in the flock, so to speak. Start speaking the truth. So Jesus gives us an incredible. So for some of you uh, point students uh, who are biblical studies, um, this is pretty cool. How to shrink a church right there. 
They won't teach that in school, by the way. But this is just what Jesus is doing. You want that celebrity Jesus? Go eat my flesh and drink my blood. <coughs> you want this Jesus that's all about appearance, that's all about uh, what he can give you? That Jesus just doesn't exist. Now, here's the incredible thing, because I think that some 2,000 years later, we're not far removed from this. We want a Jesus that we can benefit from. And we want him to look presentable. We want Jesus with Botox and chiseled abs. That's my idea. Maybe not yours. And we want Jesus to give us whatever we want. But that's not the Jesus that is being presented here. And I think that we have to be very careful as a, as a culture because the Jesus that's being presented here is not the soft Jesus. The Jesus presented here is not the Jesus that gives you everything that your heart desires. The Jesus presented here is very offensive. The Jesus here, I mean, he said some incredibly offensive things. Not only eat my flesh, drink my blood, but then he told the people that actually you'll only come to me unless the Father draws you to me. Wait a minute. I chose this. Oh, you did, O oh, sovereign one? I'm offended by that. Can I be honest with you? But Jesus kept saying it. And he just keeps on offending. But we don't like that Jesus that's offensive. And here's, my, here, here's like this, this looming thing that, that, that I think of. Because as our culture just increases in its darkness, it is going to want you to worship a different Jesus. The Jesus that's not offensive. The Jesus that tolerates. Isn't that what they want us to do? And then if you don't, here's what's happening in our culture. That suddenly now you are a bigot and a hater. A hater. And Jesus says, that's, no, I'm offensive. I mean, what more offense is it than the gospel that says, you are dead? How offensive is it? Because when the gospel, it reveals how terrible of a person that we are. Isn't that offensive? I thought I was doing pretty good. And the preacher told me I was doing terrible. Preacher told me I was a horrible person. But that's what the gospel is. It's an offensive message that you are dead. But it does that so it can reveal the goodness of the gospel that without Christ, you'll stay dead. But with him, you become alive. That's offensive. And this is their problem with Jesus. That he's just not this cookie cutter Rabbi that they were so accustomed to. Just stick with the script, Jesus, and do what we want you to do. He was more of a bellhop to them than he was a master. And I honestly feel like that's the question that you have to ask yourself. Which Jesus are you willing to receive? Because he ain't your bellhop. 
He's not some celebrity superstar that's going to go along with whatever culture says is good. He is offensive. And he will meet you in your offensive state and bring light to who you really are. Just so you could see the light of who he really is. Now, good news is everybody can breathe now, right? Because that's just like, dang, preacher, you need a hug or something, okay? Like, did you not have your coffee today? Yes, I did. I probably had way too much. Because now Jesus is going to give them an incredible offer. Jesus is going to do something amazing for them because now he's about to reveal his true identity. And now the question will be, will you receive this Jesus? Because Jesus comes up out on the temple and look at verse 37. We're going to skip down just a little bit. Don't worry, we'll get back to all that other stuff next week. And he says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, with a loud voice. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For as yet the spirit had not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this is the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles and here's what they would do in commemoration of what christ did that brought them out of slavery they would go out in the wilderness and just go camp out and then after that they would do this really cool thing where the priest the high priest he would get a jug of water and people would get branches here and they'd read the text about the hope of israel and so here's jesus barging in on the scenes and he cries out do you want that water Do you want that living water? Do you want that satisfaction? Do you want that longing to be filled? Drink. Drink of me. Again, these people are probably thinking, oh gosh, here comes that old crazy Jesus with that crazy message again. Come, do you want to be satisfied? Do you not want to be ruled by false religion? Come to me. And I love the invitation because come everybody. You're white, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're, you're Middle Eastern. The invitation's for everybody. You're male, you're female. He's like, come. You're poor, you're rich, you're, you're neither or. Come. You're educated, you're uneducated, you're the up and out, you're the down and out. Come and drink. That's the invitation. This is the Christ that we have to receive, the one that tells us that you'll never feel this void in your heart unless you drink from me. Don't give in to the lie of culture that says, you've got to have a pretty Jesus. You've got to have a Jesus that's not offensive. No, come to Jesus. This water is a major theme in John's gospel. And when Jesus makes his announcement and in John chapter 1, that when John looks over, John the Baptist looks over, and he says, there's the Lamb of God. He does it around some water here. In John chapter 2, he takes water and turns it into wine. In John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. says, you're going to be baptized with water of the, of the living water. John chapter 4, he meets a woman at the well and gives her the same invitation, come and drink. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. In John chapter 5, he meets the man by the pool and water and he makes him whole and here in John chapter 6 and John chapter 7 
John chapter 9, John chapter 12, on and on, Jesus talks about this water. Water has a significance in John's gospel because water here is what gives us life. The Spirit of God, and he says, and just, listen to what he says, just drink. Just drink from this water because water was everything to them. And Jesus says, you come to me broken, are you, are you thirsty? You're coming to me looking for significance. You're coming to me looking for fulfillment. You're coming maybe with the wrong intent for rules and regulations. Maybe you're coming just so that you can look better. If you even are coming to him with those agendas, the invitation is still for you. Because he says, just drink from me. Amen. And I'll give you a water that will quench the longings of your life come he's talking about uh, will you receive me for who i am and when you do look what happens the spirit of god comes in and the spirit of god overwhelms you and it and it just kind of just like a waterboards you a terrible analogy this is the only thing that comes to my head but that's what the Spirit of God does. It infiltrates your body and it takes over. And here's a word we don't like. It possesses who you are. That's what the Spirit of God does. And if you want joy, you want satisfaction, you want significance, you want the longings of your life, be filled. The invitation is, I don't care who you are, come. So the question, my friends, I've got to draw back to the beginning of this. Which Jesus are you after? Are you after the celebrity Jesus? This Jesus that's hip, the Jesus that's cool, the Jesus that's, that's just go with the flow, y'all. The Jesus that will tolerate everybody and tolerate all of our sins. Are you after this Jesus who's just got to stick by the script? Or are you after the Jesus that invites you to come and drink from him? Lay aside all of your agendas and the invitation for you is drink. Come and partake. Come and drink from the living water, the Spirit of God. Which Jesus are we after this morning? Let's pray. Father.